0: Actually, the only reason I do the show to write and write about the startup space is because while the industry is full of imitators talking to founders, startup advising CISOs, the, this is the most densely packed part of original genius in cybersecurity. Could you talk a little bit about your origin story, dealing with you know the venture capital analysts, the is advising CISOs?
1: Let's start with I, I'm such a believer in what you just said. Um, before Dan and I did anything, uh, it was actually Dan and I and Brian Kenyon we called or the 50 what we thought were industry leaders. And they happened to be CISOs and CIOs of some of the most important companies on the planet. And I left the same voicemail or text for each of them. Listen, I'm thinking about starting a company. I'm, I want to go over what I'm doing and see if I'm off base. What was amazing, every one of them took the call. The same people that we really are to sell to We're happy to appreciate, listen, this individual is going to go off and start a company. I'm happy to give them advice before they go and direct their career down a path that might fail.
0: The Genealogy of Cybersecurity is a new kind of podcast. Here we'll interview notable entrepreneurs, startup advising CISOs, venture capitalists, and more. Our topic, the problems of cybersecurity, new attack surfaces, and innovation across the startup world. Welcome. I'm your cybersecurity analyst, Paul Shomo. So today we're going to bring back Mike Fay, who was the CEO and founder of Island. That was uh, our episode three, pretty popular episode on the enterprise browser space and of course, Island in particular. And um, Mike, uh, you know, he was the, the head of Semantic and uh, blue code before that, as well as uh, what he's doing now with Island. And so some of these entrepreneurs and founders I'm going to have back on to talk about just general entrepreneurship, working with venture capitalists and the general topic of innovation and where things are going. And uh, Mike was kind enough to uh, give us some time for that. So that's what we're going to listen to right about now. This whole area of the virtual assistants, I mean, chat GPT has obviously caused a a big stir. (laughs) I mean, AI, it's hard to tell, but it does appear that AI maybe just stepped onto an exponential evolutionary curve. So I wanted to ask you,
1: how different do you think browsing is going to be in the future? i think it's i think it will change dramatically i think it already is um you know i think there are a couple big things headed our way that are going to change our our situation epically ai is one you know you think about just searching you know the theory is with with ai that you ask a question you get an answer not back a list of paid for search results plus the answer you're in somewhere in that journey right so that whole advertising model Gets disrupted there's a lot of free productivity stuff that've been given to us because of that advertising model so just paying for that moving forward you know how does that play but then when we think about that that AI we also have to think about how data it's up you know it's let's take a step back and just take something as easy as grammar you know on my writing is, is horrible I have no skills and anybody that wants to help me write better I appreciate but I sign contract after contract that I will not let customer data move along. And if I assume that everything I write, every bit of customer data I interact with gets uploaded to a cloud to get scrubbed, I, I may or may not be breaking the contracts I sign. So you see people block this extension. And now you've seen that with OpenAI. Um, and I want to be careful, I, I, I don't want to talk about any particular company, but when you're asking a AI engine to do things for you, to look at data, it doesn't forget what it saw. It's learning from you as well. So if you have a bank actively engaged with that, it makes sense someone else can ask questions to learn about what you actively did and start to kind of understand that, start to get a picture of that. So will we upload to that? There's almost going to be another set of gateway technology that has to show up to govern what it is we're willing to send into a public cloud which may spawn private clouds that that are more open who knows um but i also think it's not going to be one ai engine you know ai at its purest is like having a bunch of smart friends and you know who to call up for an answer and right now we call one person and we get their their best shot but after you have more friends you start going this this guy really knows the restaurants this one's really on movies this one knows cars kind of like all your friends and you get the best advice that's where AI is going to end. It appears to me as this you know, kind of arbitrage of, of dedicated information, how we send data to that, what we ask of that, what's confidential, what's not, is all a very interesting part of the journey. That's one of the big changes. The second big change is quantum compute. That one will be big in the enterprise. Think of it like this. The minute quantum compute is available online for a reasonable price, that means it's available to hackers for a reasonable price. That means I can break the encryption stream of even the most important data. So every self-respecting bank and the like, at some point, well, i say, oh, we're going to up our encryption algorithm. The mathematical jump to that is far superior than what the hardware organizations are ready to do. So this whole break and inspect that is core to network security dies almost instantaneously like that because of performance and expense. So the idea of backhauling traffic in a, in a quantum compute world starts to become really interesting and really difficult then you throw on peer-to-peer and you know web 3.0 and you just you know what are we really doing here so those two in concert start to become it and then you throw on the privacy laws all three are going to make it really interesting on how you navigate this beautiful world that's being built uh and having your main operating system uncontrolled uninstrumented you know ungoverned is not how
0: I just recorded a uh, episode with uh, Hidden Layer. They were one of the one of the in- innovation sandbox finalists this year, and they protect machine learning systems from attack. Uh, MITRE has a new framework. Um, it's beyond MITRE attack. It's called MITRE Atlas, and steals attack. It basically covers attacks on machine learning systems. And you kind of touched on this. One of the weird things about uh, adversarial AI attacking is that it's it can learn. It's basically learning what your proprietary secrets are, things that you don't want people to know. Uh, I mean, that's really what deep learning is. If there's a vendor and you're using a product that does deep learning, it's learning your data set and about you, and it's taking that intelligence back to a central location.
1: You know, there are certainly things the AI vendors can do to help. They can try to mask the requests and not learn and and, and build filters and safe zones and all that stuff. And I think they will. but inherently, if you continue to think of AI like you do an individual, like you do intelligence, you can't sit me down and ask me a series of thought-provoking questions and then expect me to forget them when the next person walks up. And, and that's really at the heart of it, that the best algorithms will be always learning. That that will, that will be what makes them amazing. So to think that we're the only ones that get to leverage that when we make the request is probably flawed logic. Either. But I will say this, I think what is possible, where it's going is such a, a, an early stage, we will be shocked at, at where it gets to. Um, I don't believe it's inherently evil and it's going to ruin the world by any stretch. Uh, I, I think it is that exponential next productivity gain. And honestly, we're due. This idea of search on pet, you know, trust, we just want answers. We just want information at our fingertips. It's all we've ever wanted. Um, I think we can get there. We still have to be creative humans. And do great stuff. You mentioned a phrase
0: there that I think is really important. You said, turn off learning. So I can see a vendor that's delivering some type of AI solution where I say, okay, you can learn off of me because I'm getting it for free, but I want you to turn off learning. And they might say, well, I no, got to pay for it. I don't want
1: you to learn from me. And I'd, I think that, I think that makes perfect sense. But when you tell an ai system to, to go review all mortgages written in the public record for a, a zip code like it did it the data's been resolved that's been looked at you know can it really forget i don't know i uh you know when i worked on neural nets one of the challenges we had is when we trained it with data we put the wrong data in getting it out was very hard and you know when you build these learning algorithms the idea of intense molecular control of what you learn and don't learn is tricky. Now, luckily there's lots of great people out there that I think have chosen this as their future field, so maybe they'll figure it out. But I do think you're wise to assume when you interact today that the cloud of, of anonymity is not where it used to be. Then there's also just the expense of it. You know, how these things charge? Who's using it? When are they calling it? What for? You know, we saw this when Amazon showed up. Every remote admin could call different processes and stuff, and that in your bill from Amazon would be wildly different every quarter based on what a developer chose to use and not use. You know, like are they using the, the database we have, or did they call one of the ones inside of Amazon? Are they using this or not? And so you can see the same thing occurring: is my call center worker using an, an AI tool to do their job when I wasn't planning for that? Like, but they're using my instance. Like, there's there's also just this control and governance to expense that will have to be there such a wildly
0: different world. You mentioned, um, uh, feeding bad data to a, a neural network while you train it. It used to be, you had a problem where you amassed too much code and you had a legacy code base that was like, there was this inertia to it that caused your product to slowly die. But now you bring up a point that the race is really training your large language models, training your neural network, building that internal intelligence, not building up more features and lines of code. And you brought up a good point about what could be a decay there is miseducating your neural network over time.
1: Well honestly, I mean, haven't we had this problem? You know, on April 1st this week, virtually for me, all my social media was pointless. Like I couldn't tell what was real, what wasn't. I Michael Jordan was coming back to play again, like all this crazy stuff. And, you know, whether you want to get in the whole, you know, trusted news or, or the like, what source do you trust what sources don't you trust where do you go for your data what are you learning on and that's why i do think you'll get these specific algorithms that are trained off data that we may appreciate you can imagine if i was trying to get financial ai or legal ai for that matter i want to understand if i'm a large law firm and i'm using that where did you train it on did you train on some person with a with an opinion or some person with a degree some person that is you know tried cases or somebody that watches on tv Like, where are you getting this opinion set? Because when I search for important data, that's one of the hardest things to to really believe is what is this site and is it trustable? Well, it's mining those same sites for information. So I think that's a whole nother problems differentiation that these AI engines are going to give, which is, you know their pedigree
0: citing sources, i think is a good way to summarize that i think that is a will be a huge thing in the future is okay you learn this where did you learn it from i want to see i mean that's what we as humans do we cite sources um it, yeah it's an important part of the the like you said the pedigree of knowledge you know, it's funny though in your daily decision making how many things do you just know no. and you don't know why well one of the things that's interesting about citing sources too is um you know, citations obviously has been a big part of academic publishing, right? Uh, who, Where where did that great idea or that theory come from? And then you can kind of track back in time who got the most citations and they became the most celebrated intellectuals. And so if AI starts to basically note where things originally came from, suddenly you get to start to see that there's a portion of humans that are original genius and the rest are just imitators. AI can tell us which ones it's copying off of
1: the funny idea um you know i think what it'll allow or is a real burst of creativity because the gap to execution will drop
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know it'll be about the bright idea and less about the the execution of it when you can get such good advice on it but out of complete last life effort but who knows we're we're definitely early on and uh i i know when it comes to to the enterprise well, we're integrating in um smart ai Basic AI to start auto populating fields where they need to be done, just watching a user and go, you know, we'll be copying and pasting this data back and forth for the whole day. Can I just start assuming you want this? Now, remember, the first time I saw that in Excel and, and I didn't have to drag a formula, just I had Monday, Tuesday and drug over and it figured out, oh, he means the rest of the week. I had I, I to show every friend I had. Imagine if you're sitting in a call center or in a production area or distribution environment and you were doing the same darn thing for the last three months, and then all of a sudden just filling in for you. You're going to feel better. You're going to feel it's improvement. You're going to, you know, you're going to make less mistakes. Um, the productivity will increase. There are so many ways to use it before we head towards, you know, what if it gets the cure for cancer wrong, right? You know, like there, there's there's so many wonderful, easy things to do. And I think we might lose track of that right now because we're all thinking of the grand plan, but let's just get my Doordash order right. Could you talk a little bit about your origin story? Yeah. So let's start with um, before Dan and I did anything, uh, it was actually Dan and I and Brian Kenyon. We called more than 50 what we thought were industry leaders. And they happened to be CISOs and CIOs at some of the most important companies on the planet. And I left the same voicemail or text for each of them. Listen, I'm thinking about starting a company. I'm I want to go over what I'm doing and see if I'm off base. What was amazing, every one of them took the call. The same people that we really are to sell to were happy to appreciate, listen, this individual is going to go off and start a company. I'm happy to give them advice before they go and direct their career down a path that might fail. Every one of them took it and they took that call quickly. They didn't push me out weeks. They took it that week. And so you saw these bright minds wanted to help. They wanted to see innovation. They wanted to to lean in on that. And so we talked to more than 50 of them. We went through it. And, and I mean, we're talking hours of conversation and individuals. And then they call us up later and say, how about it's some more? Someone of them, when they call on their friends, they say, listen, I discussed it with my friends. Here's what you need to think about. I mean, it, it not only was it just a... It, it was so great to see humankind work that way. That these very busy people, that get hounded by every startup on the planet to buy their stuff. were 100% willing to you know, game theory with you. They didn't want to see another startup go down a bad path, build a product that didn't need to be built. Like they wanted to be in on that. So when it was time to fundraise, I I kid, most companies start and they go hire a couple, they get a small amount of funding to pilot something. We felt like we knew we knew it was needed. We were not confused. We knew exactly what had to be built. We had talked to all the right people that we game theoried it out enough. So that's why I went for twenty million out of the gate. I wasn't debating what had to be built, and we knew how far we had to take it. It wasn't to prove out that we built a browser that they did a couple of things. No, that was done. We haven't built a product we could sit in front of these great people and they go, "Yes, you got it." So we went with a very heavy funding round, um, mm-hmm. and you know, with a two hundred plus billion dollar TAM, the VCs were excited that somebody was tackling a disruptive big area. Not just, you know, a, a second coming of a of given tech. Um the other thing that they, you know, to be honest, that, that really helped is they they know that everybody involved had experience operating. We were coming from a space we knew well. Um, we didn't need to do it. We didn't decide to become entrepreneurs. We saw a problem and we wanted to go a company for it. And they love that. You know, they they want experienced people that do it. You know, a lot of founders are very young. We obviously weren't, we're later in our career. Um We'd see a lot. And given what we were tackling, we were the right shape, size, you know, experience level for what we were tackling. If you come from an alternate space, tangential cybersecurity, you didn't really help enterprises solve their problems for 20 years. You're going to build wrong all features out of gate. You're not solving our complexities. You're going to focus on zero days in the browser and hiccups in the browser and try to tell people how to be more secure in the browser. In reality, there's so many tools for that. There's so many different ways to do that, and we can sit there and debate that all day. Instead, we thought, what are they failing at? What is their nightmare? What could we solve? What is that big enough solve that they think about this idea that they actually even consider it? And that's where we started. So, you know, I, I will tell you our first year of development, despite all our customer falls, which we had the 50 to start with, and then CyberStarts brought in another 100 customers, and SoulCoy brought in more, and Insight brought in more, and all this feedback we got to get we didn't change our build order for the first probably 18 months of building the product. Um, when you can let a development or go build heads down, you know, you're not web around. They can get pretty good product out the door and that's, that's what we're able to do. But uh, back to your starting point, there are so many geniuses in our industry that are operating and, and hidden away from innovation because they're, they're busy. They're busy trying to save the world, right? I mean, some of the people I called, I remember one call. They had to call me back and said, "Listen, uh, we're dealing with the Chinese right now. They're, you know, they're they're attacking our organization. Can I call you tomorrow?" And I thought to myself, "What a wonderful individual! Like the Chinese were attacking me, I, I might talk to you next month, you know. But like all you did tomorrow, it, it's just they learned to live in this phenomenal space, and having access to them is, is one of the treasures." I and mean, by the way, we kept most of them as advisors to this process. Um, most couldn't going be paid for advisors. Most just want to help out as they can, uh, and uh, their insight and direction of where to take it, where to take it next—it's just absolutely priceless. And, and you mentioned Bob. I mean, he's one of them. Like I met Bob in this process. I never met Bob before. We showed Bob what we were building. About halfway through the call, "This makes perfect sense. I want to be involved in this. I want. I want. I want this for my organization. I've struggled with this for years." This is innovative. This could this could change the world. We hear that a lot, and and I never knew these people were striving for that because I was always selling large companies, the next iteration, all that stuff. We were always thinking of them as you know a PO and you know how much more or less will we get in that process. And you really want to see this industry change. So there's there's no shortage of those people. You just have to find them, but they are going. So mm-hmm. mentioned before you before you've been incorporated, you had these brainstorming
0: sessions. What year would have that been? Is that 2021, 2020? What? What is that? Three years ago. So the browsers just combined on Google Chrome, you're basically talking to a bunch of, it's a gathering of original genius. And I keep telling my listeners, these are hidden collaborative spaces. They're around venture capitalists. And you're literally speaking about the way the world is going to be five, six years ago. You're talking about a world that the early adopters aren't going to see for
1: five, six years. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, we, we learned how to do that conversation. I started off and said, listen, don't worry about if I can't. Don't worry about if I can build a browser that looks the page exactly like the one you had. Don't worry about that. What if I did? And what if it did these things? Would you want it? What else should it do? Why not? Why would you? And then they went there. So we, we, we tried to remove them from the, Mike, can you pull it off? Yeah, you know, we've done our homework and we could do that. We didn't need opinions on that. We've mean many opinions on what was worth. You know, would it be as valuable as we think it would be? And what would be the requirements of change? How hard would it be? You know, could we get somebody to do that? And, you know, um, to their credit, not only did they tell us what to build, and were accurate about that. They even told us how the sales cycle would work out. So they told us, yes, you'll come in through the CISO. We'll, we'll reach you, but we're going to have to go get the CIO and the end users on board. Like you can't just sell it to us. And when we first started, we were afraid to do that because we haven't talked to a lot of CIOs in our in our day, much less end users. And now it's just part of the process. When coming to CIO, we can be talking to the end users. We want everybody on board; they're all going to love it. But they uh, they not only understood the tech, they understood what it took to make the tech work in their environment. I say one of the biggest innovations we ever did at Iowa is to figure out how to get paid for the Chromium open source project. There are countless browsers that have been built, many, many, many that offered better functionality to the world, but never figured out how to monetize. Innovation is not just a product feature. It is the delivery method. It is the value prop. It is the messaging. You can innovate in so many ways. And that group gave us innovation on all fronts. You know, we were going to call it a zero trust browser early on. And I remember one of the sisters said, please don't. <laughs> I, my CEO hates that term we to think we don't trust our own employees is insulting and doesn't want us to say that you know and by the way it restricts you just to this and you're part of this And did like, really good and we tested that with other people like yeah don't do that it's an enterprise browser um so everything from how we named the company to the product we named i mean it was it was so much innovation driven by these great individuals and you're right these vc communities the right ones cultivate these groups and and make them available to you um are their their weapons uh and their weapons because you get that unfiltered advice. Um I was able to do it with my own network before I had VCs lined up, but after that I got a whole other round of it. And you know, Cyber Starts is one of the most uh, successful funds in the world right now. Um, I think it's like number one or top ten or something. Uh they did that by making sure they have the sunrise process where they run every startup through this where you pitch your idea to a to an expert they understand it they give you feedback and then you can come back 90 days later and do it again the 90 days later was the valuable one uh the first one it was a new idea it was interesting feedback when we came back I said all right we heard your feedback let's repitch it let's re-be. let's re-show you then you really got educated um so yeah i think it, it, there are these hidden groups. SVCI is another one. Um, Insight has one. Sequoia has one. There's, there's a couple of them out there that uh, give a startup a chance.
0: Liam Gibson, the sci-fi author who coined the term cyberspace, he has this great quote that futurists like to say: uh, "The future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed." And if you want to <laughs> know, yeah, if you want to know where the future is, it's around Michael Fay. It's around Bob Shooter. It's around Sequoia Cyberstarts. These different places. And that's what this conversation is. We're bringing you these future creating forward-thinking spaces to to the listeners. So thank you so much.
1: But why don't you tell us where we can reach you and Island Online? So we're at island.io. You can hit the site and drop us a line. Uh, you can email me directly at mike at island.io as well.